Welcome to the What's Your Weird Story podcast. Everyone has at least one good story. And some of us have stories that are just to the left of normal. We're interested in the ones that push the boundaries of what we can perceive. Stories that defy explanations. Stories with an air of mystery. Stories we might not share. For fear of being thought of differently. But don't worry. We're all friends here. So... What's your weird story? Hello, Weirdsville. Welcome to the What's Your Weird Story podcast. Hope you're doing well. I am one of your hosts, Barry Johnston, and with me as always, Mr. Adam Beebe. How are you, Adam? I'm doing well. All right, all things considered, Barry. It's not not as not as easy as it looks sometimes to say that uh, no. that phrase there is. No, it? sometimes you just gotta you gotta re, you gotta recut it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Usually recut it's me shit. stumbling over words, <laughs> uh, but uh, not so much you. So. Yeah, well, the intention wasn't there. You know, it, <laughs> it needed more oomph. You know, you gotta, um, you gotta believe. You gotta yeah, believe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, man, we got we got some heavy weather coming this way. I don't know if oh you, yeah yeah I don't know if you guys do but tomorrow was... well you know I had I had um, I had some this past week here uh, we had about I want to say four or five inches you know oh, came yeah. in overnight you know right, it was very right. nice nice uh, not too bad they were able to clean the roads out and everything of course I didn't get out to uh, really enjoy it or drive around in it because I am uh, in quarantine. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you uh so you you went away, uh took a little trip and then you came down with something. I think similar to what I had. Yeah, that's right. I um the previous weekend I went to North Carolina for my stepfather's uh memorial service and uh spent a lot of time hanging out with uh family and uh came back on Monday started feeling a little run down on the airplane and Tuesday morning woke up with a sore throat, a little bit of a fever, a little bit of cough. And then, uh, my, my stepsister Liz, she texted, uh, us, my mom and uh, my sister and me, uh, saying that she's really sorry. <laughs> she said she hoped she didn't get anybody sick. She got started feeling bad and she named off her symptoms. And then she said, and then I went and got tested this morning and it came back positive. So she had COVID. Yeah. And so I, uh, you know, I didn't go and get tested, but I assume by having the same kind of symptoms that I also had it. But, you know, hey, I, I got I'm glad I got my vaccines because I, it could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, so. yeah absolutely. Well, you got that out of the way. Now you're healthy yeah, and, dude. Uh, feel, or getting on the road to health yeah. and uh, feeling a lot better. And that's that's awesome, man. It's been pretty crazy around here. You know, we're sort of getting to the end of our basketball season, which is a crazy mm-hmm. time because the playoffs are going to start here pretty soon, and that's that's uh, that's a whole other animal. So getting geared up for that, and uh, man, just like I said, getting ready for this big. We got this big storm coming in. We're supposed to get five, mm-hmm. maybe five to plus inches. Who knows? Um, but it's going to last for a couple of days and get really cold. So you know, but I've got I've got a friend I was talking to in. Um, Long Island. Hey. Yay. Long Island. Yeah. Um, and I, said, I was like, oh, we got like, 
we got uh, four or five inches of snow. It's pretty cool. And, and she's like, yeah. She like, or she, and she said, I was just out shoveling snow. I was like, how much did you get? And she's like, eh, 21 inches. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I saw some pictures from Greece, man, that were like cars buried on the street. Right, yeah. Right. So, yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. yeah. You never know what you're going to get. You know, of course, today it was 70 degrees, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was snow and freezing temperatures in Florida. It's been crazy. I don't yeah. know what's why. I don't, I have, it certainly couldn't be any kind of environmental change yeah. that right. would make these strange weather patterns or yeah. anything like that. But. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, yeah, man. So, uh, well, I mean, we've got, uh, a reason for people to come, you know, uh, come inside, come out of the mm-hmm. weather mm-hmm. and join us uh, this week. We've got uh, an amazing guest with some yes. a crazy story and has led a crazy life. And yeah. uh, just wow. Wow. Yeah, this one's a doozy. Um, this one is it's a little it can it, it can be kind of rough. Um, I guess we could kind of maybe throw in a trigger warning for, you know, kind of like child abuse, mental and emotional abuse mainly. But also this is a story about uh, demonic possession. Our guest, uh, Michael, as you'll find out, grew up in a house where there was a, there was a dark, dark presence. Yeah. It, it, it had a heavy and long lasting effect, but it is. Uh, it's an intensely incredible, amazing story, and you will be glued uh, to your seats. And we hope you really enjoy it as much as we did. And talking to Michael, Michael, thank you for joining us all the way from sunny California, and before that from uh, sunny Canada. At <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some time of the year, I'm sure it is. Michael, thank you for joining us. What's your weird story? Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in uh, Southern California, and um, feeling a little bit better this afternoon. Had a rough night last night, and uh, I'll just start off. Um, I've written two books, actually. I'm I'm on my fourth one right now, but the first wow. two books are about my experience. Uh, I have the. Uh, we'll just say it. I'll just say it in a nutshell. Um, my mother is was the worst case demonic possession in Canadian history. Wow! And um, it was wow. covered up. Yeah, it happened during the seventies and the eighties. Uh, it was covered up um, by the mental institutions, uh, the local police. Uh, everyone knew about it. They were always at our house. There was always something going on. My mother terrorized the neighbors. She terrorized the police. She terrorized everybody. She tried to murder us and the neighbors and it was just a mess a bloody mess and and uh, they covered it up they took her you know a few times to a mental institution you know in a straitjacket back then they used to put you really in straitjackets and uh, she ended up coming home and there was minors in the house which is kind of mind-blowing but uh, that's part of the cover-up that the local police and the mental institution uh, have done I've never had, I've never been able to uh, understand how that was justified or, or uh, how that was a resolution. Um, when I was uh, researching to write this book, because this is now 40 years after, mm-hmm. and I, I'm still, I have 
severe, severe PTSD because my sister was seven years older than me and she got out as quick as she could. Mm-hmm. But uh, my my mother started, uh, she started in the early 70s. I was born in 68, so by 71 um, was when the first incident started happening. Um <clears throat> You know, we. I grew up in an Italian family. My father, my father's from Italy. My mother's parents' uh, father was from Italy. Um, when you're a child, you eat this uh, food called pasta fasule. It's like uh, pastina or like alphabet soup, basically yeah. for English English children. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, every day at lunchtime, you know, my mother would call me over, and I come up to the table, and the soup would already be there. Well. This one particular time, um, I went up to the table. The soup wasn't there. She came up behind me and dumped a scalding hot soup all down my shoulder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this was the beginning of it. I was uh, three. I was probably three and a half years old. I was screaming bloody murder. She called a taxi. She showed no um, sensitivity toward me, no nurturing. We got in a we got in a taxi. We went to the doctor. She never said a word to me. Was never concerned. Never hugged me. Never kissed me. Never reassured me that uh, everything was going to be all right or anything of, of that uh, of that um, you know like you like you would act toward a child. And uh, that was the beginning. That was the beginning where. I started to become hypersensitive mm. of my environment and my mother. And within a year, we had moved into a house. We were living in an apartment at that time where that particular incident happened. Mm-hmm. We, moved, we moved into a house, and then my mother started exhibiting strange behavior. This is where it started. And my sister, who was seven years older at the time, she... Uh, collaborates this she says yeah it was it started around then um now if you know just give you a little background that in in the late 60s in the early 70s you know if, if you're interested in the paranormal you would understand that back in those days people were into seances and swinging yeah. and yeah th- th- you know this was what was going on in those days and and my mother had another sister and a brother and at one point, we lived on the top floor of a house, and they lived on the bottom floor. So her, her younger sister lived on the bottom floor. Mm. Now, just before all of this happened, um, my sister had told me that uh, um, my, my mother's father, who she just adored, died in a horrific accident. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, I don't know what it's like where you guys live, but in Canada during those days you would have a train possibly go right through your backyard and there was no fences. There was no nothing. The train tracks were right there. They yeah. went right through the backyard. And you know, if you were an idiot, if you didn't stay away, you know, it was common sense to stay away. Mm-hmm. But, um, my grandfather, who was my mother's father, whom she adored, he was, I guess, drunk one night, went out onto the, tr- the train tracks, whether he's trying to commit suicide or not, I don't know. And the train hit him and cut his legs off and killed him. Gosh. So, wow. yeah, so he, he died a horrible death. And my mother, my mother, who adored him, was crushed. Now, skip ahead a few years, you know, after I was born, my sister had already been born. Um, I remember as far back as at, right after this incident, 
uh, you know, you know, when you're a kid, you know, everyone thinks you don't listen, you don't hear anything. When uh, you know, parent, when adults are talking, you know, they yeah. think you don't understand. But you know, you grow up and you remember things that they said, and then you make sense of those things. Well, that's exactly what I did. I remember them talking around a table all the time, and hearing the word "seance" all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, this and that kind of talk, ghosts, and hearing that kind of stuff. You know, from my room, and um, this this is what I I and my sister believe is that my mother and her sister, because they were always talking about ESP and her kids. One of her kids was my age; just she was a year older than me. And they were into all this stuff at that time that, mm-hmm. you know, my mother and her sister, okay. or her brother wasn't into it, but they were into all this stuff. I remember hearing the the words, you know, and never knew what they meant, but later on connected the dots. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I believe that what they did was they did a seance to talk to their father. They okay. wanted to, yes, because she loved him and adored him so much. And so did my grandmother, who was my mother's mother. Mm-hmm. In fact, when he died, she went crazy and went out partying and left my mother in charge of the kids. Wow. And, and she just lost her mind because she loved him. Apparently, he was a really great, a really great father and, and a husband. So, so we moved from there into, you know, having her interested with her sister in these seances and stuff like this. When I was three and a half and we, we lived downstairs and I don't, I'm not sure. I don't, not sure if I talk about this in the book, but uh, I start to reveal it a little bit more, but as a three and a half year old, I was completely over-sexualized and that doesn't come about by something that uh, you know inside of you right <laughs> you don't have it you don't have that knowledge you don't yeah. have those feelings it is an adult that presents those things to you whether they're in visual audio or they do something to you yeah. mm-hmm. you know abuse so there may have been some abuse there i'm i'm not positive um i've got a number of stories in my head that i can recount of some pretty wicked things going on but uh, I, once again there's a lot of stuff i didn't put in the book but um, I'm talking about it now because, you know, I felt like it was a little out, a little too far out there for people to swallow, mm-hmm. but uh, apparently, apparently not. <laughs> so anyway, um, so after we, that incident, that first incident happened and we moved to this other house, my mother began, in, began the beginning stages of this demonic infestation, this oppression. She began to say she was hearing voices. She said that she was seeing little people running around the house, that they were living in our house and, you know, popping in and out of uh, doorways and, you know, uh, doing mischievous and malevolent things. Mm -hmm. And my father, and everybody asks me about my father, well, what was he doing during the time? My father was never there. He was involved in the mafia. He didn't speak English very well. Uh, He grew up in World War II. He was a refugee during World War II. He was just checked out. Mm, he was just right. checked out. So, yeah. so let's just get that off the record right now. You know, he didn't speak very good English, and he was just checked out. You know, and he only spent a few hours at home. You know, for in a whole week because you know he would be working, and then carousing and doing whatever he was doing. So he was just never there. Mm. And uh, so these beginning stages begin to start in the, our first house. Uh, we lived there maybe a year. And then something happened to the family dynamic 
with uh, my mother's sister downstairs where all of a sudden we picked up and moved 110 miles away. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And the odd thing about that is that we move 110 miles away, but my father has to drive all the way back down there to go to work. So he ends up just living down there for five, six days and comes up for a few hours on the weekend, you know, pays bills, you know, does whatever to keep the upkeep, you know, and then take back, you know, take off again. So my, I think something happened with the dynamic between my mother and her sister's family. Either they were swinging or doing something, and that's a little bit of conjecture on my part. But mm-hmm. knowing knowing my stories and the things of how we, you know, we as children were hypersexualized, there was something going on of that nature. Right. So I think that, and we never talked to each other after that again. These families never got together ever wow. again. Oh, that's so, very that's very unusual for Italian families. That's yes, yes, that's yes, for sure. Yeah. Wow. 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 So, so there was something bizarre going on there, and I have yet to discover that. But when we move up to this little town called Meaford, Ontario, Canada, it's 110 miles away. It's on. It's we're one block away from the Nottawasaga Bay, which is a kind of a finger bay of Georgian Bay. Mm-hmm. So you know we're way up north. We're isolated. We're it's a town of 4,500 people, and now we're living there. And I'm beginning to attend my uh, kindergarten, my first year of kindergarten. Um, my mother's behavior begins to escalate every year. She, she, when we move up there, uh, she's still seeing things, hearing voices, and she's not she's not checked out at this point. She's she's coherent, but she doesn't talk. Hmm. She doesn't talk. She just says bizarre things about things that are happening. You know, things that are happening. I saw little people in the house, and then she won't talk. She never said would wow. say any much more about that. Um, she was completely disconnected from family life, uh, i.e., uh, making dinner, washing clothes doing anything like that. So as far as six or seven years old, I was doing my own laundry and and making my own food uh, for as long as I, I can remember. And uh, I'll expound on that a little bit more. As the years progressed into, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, her demeanor, her behavior began to diminish more. She began... She began spending all of her days sitting in a chair, which was, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know how you say it. Um, back in those days, it was kind of like a, a lazy boy, but it wasn't a recliner. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't recline, but it yeah. was a big, big chair. Yeah. Anyway, and she started to eat vor- voraciously like an animal. I mean, n- nothing was holding her back, you know, as like being a, a female and, 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 you know, being dainty about everything. She was ravenous. She would eat everything, everything in the house, if let to her own devices. And it got to the point where my father would stop buying food because she would eat everything and we would have nothing. Gosh. And he, because he grew up in the war, you know, and had their own gardens and stuff like this. We had a garden and stuff like this. My dad, in his mind was thinking, you know, as long as you had shelter over your head, you know, this generate that generation. Yeah. Yeah. You had sh- you had shelter, you know, you had uh, we had a fireplace, we never turned the heat on. You know, we're talking northern Canada, it gets 60 below. Yeah. You know, oh, man. and 
you know, uh, and we had a garden, you know, with a lot of vegetables and stuff like this, you know, and, and he hunted. So we always had rabbit and fish and friends would bring, you know, moose, a chunk of moose for him or bear or, you know, pheasant or whatever. So we always had that kind of stuff. We grew up uh, kind of off the land, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So, so the years began to to go by. Now my dad still checked out. He's working, you know, six days a week down in Toronto, uh, coming back on the weekend for a few hours, and then taking but taking off, uh, going back home. In fact, as far as I can remember, from like third grade, I was writing his checks out to wow. pay bills because he didn't know how to spell like $31 or 64. So I was doing his checking wow. for him. Wow. Yeah. And paying bills because he couldn't, he couldn't write English. So by the time I was 13 years old, my mother was so, um, gone. She was having conversations now all day long all day long, talking in different languages. And I, I, you know, we grew up in this and it was, it, it was like the boiling frog, you know, proverbial frog. Yeah. You turn up the heat gradually. We had no idea there was nothing wrong. And people have asked me, well, why didn't you call a priest or something like that? We, we yeah. you know, it was so gradual that we, we didn't really uh, uh, contemplate it. We didn't really... You know, we just thought she was crazy and we left it at that yeah. mm-hmm. because she kept herself. But by the time I was 13, it started to escalate. She started to going around to the neighbors' houses, knocking on their doors, telling them in weird voices that she was going to cut their heads off and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, the police oh, would man. come to our house, oh. blah, 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 blah. You know, and during all these years, everything that I owned, she would burn in the fireplace. So Whoa. I never had toys growing up because she burned everything. <laughs> She threw everything I owned in the fireplace. Oh. So my sister be- became a recluse by this time, was living in her room with a padlock. I mean, I grew up with her, and I rarely seen her because she padlocked herself in her room. She'd come out, grab some food or whatever was available, take it right back in her room and lock the door. And I'd never see her. And this is how she lived, you know? So... By by this time is when the first really bad uh, incident happened, where she was really beginning to to spiral out of control. Um, we have uh, I don't know if you have this. We have a mud room in Canada. It's like mm-hmm. a little lobby. Yeah. You come, you take your boots off, and as the snow on, it's just a little yeah. maybe a two by two or three by three little tiny room uh, that's connected to the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like a very very small porch. Yeah, yeah. And it's enclosed, and you come in that, take your boots off, and then you enter through another door into the living room. Yeah. Well, this happened to be at the end of a school year, so the weather was warmer, and uh, I was on my way to school one morning, and, uh, you know, there's three doors you have to open to go outside. So you open the door from the living room into the mudroom. I left that door open. And when I got in the mudroom, there's the screen door, which always stuck. You know, it was one of those screen doors that you press the button, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it pushes back the yeah. little thing. Yeah. But it stuck. So I would always pound on it and then it wouldn't close. So I left that open and I left the, you know, the big exterior door open because, you know, people were home and I didn't care. Yeah. So one day I went to school and uh, a couple hours later, 
um, some official people knock on the, our school, uh, my classroom, my homeroom, and uh, the teacher goes and talks to them, and they pull me out of school. And I go, what's going on? And they said, well, uh, Jerry will tell you. He was our neighbor. He was this German guy, and uh, he's, he's come to pick you up. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? So we get in the car, and, and Jerry says to me that, um, that something's happened, something very bad's happened. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, he says, your mother tried to kill your sister. Oh, my God. So, Gosh. So I said, oh, okay. Well, I end up, I end up, we end up going home. They'd already taken her away in a straitjacket. They'd mm -hmm. taken her away. And when I got home, I found out that um, what had happened was my mother was, now, by this time now, by the time I was 13, she's uh, um, barely five feet tall, and she weighs probably 250 pounds. Wow. She's she's enormous. She's wow. obese. And and she, my sister told me she was in the kitchen. She pulled out a butcher knife, and she started screaming and running across the, you know, running from the kitchen into the living room, saying that you're a witch, and I've got to kill you. They told me to kill you. So because I left the doors open, she ran outside. My mother was chasing her around the car because we had two cars. She was chasing her around the car. The neighbors heard, and then they called the police, and then they came and took her away. So she wow. was gone by the time they got home. Wow. So this was the first incident. <clears throat> and and three months later, they told, they told me she's coming back home. Apparently, what she did was she signed herself in when she went to the, the mental institution. So when you sign yourself in, you can sign yourself out. That was right. a policy in Canada during the 70s and 80s at that time. So um, within three months, she came back. Well, my sister was old enough now, and she was not going to live in a house where her mother just tried to kill her with a butcher knife. Yeah. She leaves, and she leaves me all by myself. Mm. And how social services allowed a woman who tried to commit murder come back with a child uh, a minor living in the house that's crazy search me yeah. search me I, I haven't got but from what i'm told those were the policies back then when she was in the in the mental institution apparently and i found this out later she had done something in there that was beyond their diagnosis and they didn't know what to do with her hmm. and that's one of the reasons why she came back is because she did something either supernaturally or spoken in multiple languages and other voices and they didn't know what 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 to do with her and i'm just going to skip ahead a little bit because this piece of information is pertinent mm -hmm. by the end of the book when i was writing it i was going to do a little research so i ended up calling the very institute that she was in it used to be separate, but now it's part of the hospital, a, a department of the hospital. And I ended up calling them and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm doing research on a book, and I'm looking I'm looking for the the records for a particular person." And they said, "Oh, no problem. You just pay thirty five dollars and and you get the records." And and they said, "From what year was it?" And I said, "Well, it would have been between the seventies, between the seventies and eighties." And she says, "Oh, no, no, we don't keep those records." And and uh, she said to me, "Well, just." Out of curiosity, what was her name? So I gave her her name, and I can hear her clacking on the computer. And then all of a sudden, there's a pause, and she goes, "Hmm." She goes, "That's weird." And I said, "What? What? What's the problem?" 
she goes all her all her records are archived in another campus off campus at another building and she says that's weird because we don't keep our records we don't keep records on people from that long ago right so yeah so wow i i said well can you get those records for me and i'll pay the 35 dollars and send them to me she says oh okay i'll I'll call you uh, in a day or two so a day or two goes by a week goes by no call i end up calling back again i i forgot to get the name of the lady but it was the archives you know it was called the department of the archives and someone answered the phone and i said i talked to somebody there but nobody knew nothing and i said okay well then i i started from scratch i said can you get these uh these records for me they said well what's her name and and she typed it in she says oh no we don't have those we don't have those so the the trail went cold there was nothing now which were they were there and they were off campus now they don't exist now they're not there yeah now they're not there wow and you see all of these stories that have come up lately about uh, you know how they've taken away that uh, i forget what the words are that uh, you know when you um like the the Bill Cosby things, you know, even though it happened thirty years ago, you know the statute of limitations. Yeah. yeah, and I think what happened was because a lot of people are getting afraid of that kind of stuff. They thought they got away with stuff in the seventies. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't want to be responsible for it now. Yeah, so yeah. all of a sudden those records don't exist anymore, and this was like a week later. And I called several times, and nobody knew anything. Nobody wow. knew anything. So obviously something was done there. So let's go back to the house. Okay. So I'm 13 years old. Yeah. My sister leaves now. Now she's gotten to the point now where she is. After my sister left, it it turned maddening. She went from speaking, talking to herself, whispering to herself, to now having boisterous laughter, bursting out in laughter, humming, whistling. And speaking in a multitude of languages and voices and different sounding voices, like like having a conversation back and forth, one person talking and then another person answering. Ugh. And this would go on all day. And after about three months after my sister left, then she began take because we had a wood stove. She began taking a log and whacking herself in the chest with this log. Every waking minute, right up until sunset, oh she would God. do this every and these conversations and share her voice. And I'm going to mimic for you. This is how she'd be. She'd be like, and then she burst into laughter, just bellowing laughter, and then go right back with these these crazy voices. She was only, she was she wasn't even five foot tall, so her vocal cords were very short. Yeah. But coming out of her were such guttural, such guttural sounds, you know, that were not were not her normal voice, you know. And I rarely ever heard her normal voice. But what were you? What of, would you do? Would you lock yourself in your room, or what would you do when this would well, happen? I would leave. I would get okay. on my bike and I would take off. Sometimes I'd spend the night in the park because wow. I. I mean, by tenth grade. I mean, I what? How old are you in tenth grade? Maybe fifteen or fifteen or sixteen or fourteen. Yeah. By tenth grade, I was starting to lose my mind. I was actually oh, contemplating um, a bomb threat at school. You know that kind of thing where where kids they're reaching out for help. But yeah. They don't know mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this is what I was planning. I was planning these things because I didn't know what was really going on with me 
with my mother because it was so gradual. I mean, I knew this kind of behavior since I was three years old. So I didn't really see it as, as an issue. Right. And yeah. no one at school, I mean, I didn't go to school going, man, you should see what's happening at my house. Never even crossed my mind to tell anybody about it. And, you know, I, I, to me, it was just, well, this is my life. This right. is our life. This right. is well, our yeah, family. That's, for you, that's normal. And you don't realize that as a kid, you don't realize that it's not, you know? I had no clue. And, you know, already by this time, I was sleeping. I, I, I weighted down all my drawers, my dresser drawers with bricks. And I'd push them against my door at nighttime and I slept with a hockey stick. Well, I did this for seven or eight years in the fetal position where I wore out the mattress right to the springs from my ankle, my knee, my hip, and my shoulder from being in the same position and holding a hockey stick all night long. Wow. Hey, that's a nice t-shirt you got on there. Oh, thanks, dude. It's brand new. Do you like that? It's one of the official What's Your Weird Story t-shirts. Where'd you get that? But it's funny that you ask. I just got it off the brand new Spreadshirt.com site for the What's Your Weird Story podcast. There's no www. You just go straight to shop.spreadshirt.com backslash what without the apostrophe W-H-A-T-S hyphen Y-E-O dash w-e-i-r-d dash s-t-o-r-y and that'll take you right there i mean you can never own enough clothing well that's true barry there's t-shirts for the ladies because you know they're cut differently there's hoodies which are really cool there's two different kinds of hoodies and there's also tote bags so you can tote your stuff that's so cool man so if you guys go out to spreadshirt.com what's your weird story currently there are two designs but there will be more going up very soon so just keep your eyes out for that and if you decide to get one of our shirts tag yourself on instagram to ours or facebook show your love show us what you got let's see your true colors this is how i grew up and i you know i never knew it any different you know but she started now at that time just after my sister left she started now, you know, she was hitting, hitting herself all day long. I mean, I would go out and sometimes come back three days later, be parking my bike outside and I could hear the thumping from outside Wow! and I'd walk in and there she was, her chest was all red and she'd be whacking herself with, with this, with this log and then talking in these voices, you know, like it wasn't even hurting her, Wow! you know, and she would do, she was doing it like four days ago. Yeah, <laughs> I was gone Jeez. and it never stopped. And she was beat red. Her chest was all red. Sometimes it was bleeding, you know, and she would just do this and it never stopped the conversations, the whistling, the, the, the just, and, and then here's what changed soon as the sun went down and I'm talking soon as that sun began to set, she got up out of that chair and then she went into her room and then a whole nother thing began to happen. And this is what began to really freak me out, is that she'd go in her room and then maybe half an hour later, 20 minutes later, I would hear all this banging. And, you know, we had a subfloor because we had a basement. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you if you hit your, your heel of your foot on the ground, you know, on the, on the floor, you'd hear it throughout the whole house, mm-hmm. you know. 
and uh, you know because it just kind of rings because you got you're on a subfloor you know it's not concrete yeah and i would hear all this banging like like people were wrestling in her room you know and i would i would run in there and swing open the door and she'd be lying there in bed with the covers pulled up to her eyes and her eyes were like stark big and open like you know like she was in terror no oh she was in terror and then I was like, I'd go, what's going on? What's going on? And she wouldn't say a word. She, her eyes would just be, would just be bugging out of her head. So, you know, I'd close the door and then 10 minutes later, here we go. All this banging. And then she would start screaming. I mean, blood curdling screams. And I would run in there and she's, I'd go, what's going on? What's going on? She's saying that Satan is jumping on my chest from the mm. ceiling mm. back and forth and back and forth. And he leaves as soon as you come in. You know, as soon as I come in the room, he stops. So this that began to freak me out, and and she started like come trying to get into my room at night when all this started. She she'd come in at two o'clock in the morning and wiggle my my door handle, you know, and trying to open the door. But I had it so weighted down, I could barely push the the armoire, you know, against yeah. the. I did it every night. I did it every night, and I had my hockey stick because if she was going to push it down, I'd she'd wake me up, and I'd you know be ready to to fight, you know. So this went on every night, and I was the only person in the house. I'm a minor, and here I am, you know. Um, by the time I was 16, and then we had the next incident that kind of capped the whole thing because I was telling my dad that. There's no food in the house, you know, when the times where he was in, he's like, what, what do you mean? There's no food in the house. There's, there's fish in the freezer and stuff. He began taking, because we used to barter. He used to catch a lot of fish and we used to barter. We ha- I had a snail business, you know, escargot and he would barter and then bring back, uh, you know, like you see in a deli, the, the snowmen looking prevalone, you know. Uh-huh. And the salami, yeah, you know, because yeah. we were Italian, so he knew all these guys, you know, yeah. from the old country. So we bring back that, and my dad put it all in the freezer. He had had enough. He put it all in the freezer. He put a big, massive chain link on it and a big, huge lock on it. And I, I didn't even know where the key was, but one day I came home. And the downstairs, there's two entries into the downstairs. There's one from outside, outside where you come down the stairs and you come in. Mm-hmm. And then there's one from inside the house. So you can go downstairs. Anyway, I park my bike. I'm coming home from I don't know where. I come down the stairs and I see her there. I've never seen her downstairs before because she's so obese and, and heavy. You know, going down the stairs would have been a major, major ordeal. And I see her with a hacksaw trying to cut the lock off the off the the freezer and the only thing i could say was hey and she she was bent over and she whipped her head around and she, you know her hair was all greasy she never took a shower her hair you know her hair was all overgrown it was in her eyes and she just looked at me and snarled like an animal mm. and and she dropped the hacksaw when she looked at me see here this was the confrontation you know, yeah. and she ran upstairs. Now, at that time, by the time I was 16, I was over six feet. I was 126 pounds because I was bulimic at the time. I was throwing up everywhere because yeah. I, you know, that's how I was trying to deal with. It. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, 
And I, uh, you know, I felt better when I threw up for some un- unknown reason because it made, it took your energy away, you know, and it made right. you tired, right? you know, yeah. and yeah. I liked that feeling because it was the only, you know, moments of peace that I, mm. that I would get mm-hmm. when I was out, feel at peace. Yes. So believe it or not, I, I'm completely drawn to this terror now. Uh, you know, I'm at this point now where it's you or me, one of us is going to die. Right. And I. I had made that up in my head that this is what's going. So she runs upstairs and I can't believe how fast she got upstairs. She beat me upstairs because I chased after her and she beat me upstairs. I mean, I'm talking, she's 260 pounds, four foot 11. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she waddles when she walks, but she sprinted up those stairs and I ran after her. She beat me into her room. She slammed the door and I got to the door, and and I went to wiggle the handle, and she was holding the handle so tight I couldn't even move the handle back and forth. And she was pressing herself up against the door so hard that the door was bowing. It was bowing to me. Jeez. And I was like, at this time, and I could hear her snarling behind this really low, like this. Damn. And I was just, just like freaking out. But I was, I had had enough. It was, it, you know, I was like, this is it. This is it. So I, I tried pushing the door open. I couldn't, I couldn't get it. And she's 4'11". And she was out muscling me somehow, you know? Yeah. And I was trying to, to, to do the doorknob, you know, to turn the doorknob. And I couldn't turn the doorknob. She had it t- so tight. So, you know, my understanding of this is she was, she was probably had her back against the door. To make it bulge back that far, she'd have to, you know, yeah. when to move your weight like that, you know, yeah. you can't distribute weight forward, you know, yeah. from the face, you know, you'd have to do it from behind. So she must have been holding the door with the back of her hand. And I was thinking this while, while she, I was like, how the hell does she's got the strength to hold the door like that? And with both of my hands, I can't turn the door, oh, you know, wow. so yeah. listening to her just growling like really low just 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 like like under her breath just like this and i just stand there and i'm just standing there and then all of a sudden the bow in the door goes away and i saw the door handle relax and i think to myself i think i'm just gonna swing open the door i don't i don't care anymore Mm. you know i was failing school at that time i was an academic scholar until Mm. that till that year and then i just i just i couldn't i couldn't live anymore i couldn't think straight mm, you know i was yeah. just starting my mind and so i rang i rang my hand you know how you rub your hands together and you get ready to do something you know like on cartoons you yeah. rub your yeah. hands together yeah. i i did that probably from watching cartoons but um i did that and then i went to grab the handle and when i swung it open she was standing there her her teeth this is one thing I got to tell you about her mouth. Her teeth were all broken. And when she'd be sitting in her chair, I'll, I'll continue with this, but you got to get this, mm-hmm. this visual. When she was sitting in her t- chair, she would be doing this laughing and stuff. And she would look at me. She would open up her mouth and wag her tongue back and forth at me. Her, her tongue was all serrated in chunks on both sides of her mouth mm. because all of her teeth were all broken. 
Oh. And I don't know how the hell her teeth got all broken, but all of her molars were like halved. And they had rigid sides that were cutting her tongue up. Oh, God. I don't know. If she, yeah, I don't know if she was biting them. If It's like she got the crap beat out of her and all her teeth were broken. Yeah. You know? And so I swing the door open. She's she's gnarling at me with, with her teeth going, you yeah. know, growling at me. And for just that moment, our eyes meet. All I see is these black, these black balls. She has no pupil. She has no, she has she has no iris. It's just a jet black ball. Wow. Those were her eyes. And the left side of her forehead, where her eyebrow is, by the end of her eyebrow going to her temple, was pulsating back and forth like a like a. A golf ball was in there and mm. shooting back and forth, oh. like how you gra- you grab a balloon, you know, that's got doesn't have much air in it. You yep. you squeeze one end and it bulges out the other side. Yep. That that's the best analogy I can give oh, you. Oh wow! Damn. And I saw that when I saw that, I I become unglued. She, and like this all happened in a split second. As soon as I saw that, I looked at her eyes and I saw her. You know, the left side of her forehead, you know, bulging back and forth. As soon as I saw that, I started running. And the second I started running, she lunged at me and chased me. And she chased me right outside. And by the time I got to the bottom of the driveway, I looked back because I couldn't hear her. I heard the the door slam to her bedroom with such power that all the windows in the house shook. I wow. could see God. I could see the front window shaking, going pulsating back and forth. Like I was surprised it didn't burst out. You know? Damn. So I'm outside now and now I'm completely completely I've completely lost it. I'm I'm stuttering. I'm trying just for my own my own self to say a word. And I couldn't say a word. I was going <laughs> I couldn't breathe straight. I couldn't take a breath. I couldn't utter a word. I was in absolute shock. So I think I stood out there, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then I, I, I knew that the phone was right inside. You know, we had one of those dial phones, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, back then. And I knew that it was right inside the door. So I reached in the door, you know, made sure she wasn't there. I grabbed the phone and it had a long cable on it, thank God. And I took it outside and I closed the door. You know the exterior door on yeah. the cable, yeah. so the yeah. cable underneath the door, and and that happened to be a Saturday afternoon, and I knew my dad was in town, and I knew he had a girlfriend, and I knew her number because I would go over to her house sometimes because she had kids, um, kids of her own, and one of them was my half brother, <clears throat> so I would go over there and visit. So I'm trying to dial the phone number, and I can't get my finger into the hole because I'm shaking. Yeah. and it takes me it takes me probably 15 minutes you know because the dial the number you've got to dial all of the numbers correctly and all the way yep and i must you know partially dialed the number maybe 30 times before i finally got it and i was like oh god when i heard it ring you know in my head you know and she answered the phone and still i was going (laughs) but she recognized my voice and Mm -hmm. i heard yell out my my dad my father's name is emanuele which is emmanuel Mm-hmm. heard her yell his name he comes to the phone and I, I still can't speak 
And all I could say was, I was trying to say mom, but I couldn't say mom. And he said, I'll be right there. So I hung up the phone and within, he was probably a mile away. Mm -hmm. So he's there in a, you know, in a minute and 30 seconds, you know? So he shows up in the driveway and, and he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm trying to talk to him and he's holding my shoulders. And I'm like, mom, 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 mm, you know, I couldn't even say that word, Mm. you know, two syllables. I couldn't say them together. So he goes, okay, okay. So I follow him and he approaches the front door, opens the front door. We're now together in the mudroom, the both of us, one behind each other. And he opens the the living room door. Soon as he steps in the door, my mother standing right there. She grabs him by the shirt, throws him to the ground, and jumps on top of him and starts scratching violently at his face. Oh shit! Oh my god! And I'm watching this, and now I'm becoming even more traumatized by this. And my dad is freaking. He's freaking because you know it's his wife. He knew her for years when she was normal you know what i mean yeah Yeah. and he he knows you know her stature and you know but he's on the ground and he's yelling he's yelling and i could hear him talking in italian you know because he's freaking out and you know you you do your mother tongue when you're uh yeah yeah when when you're in trauma sure you know so she's scratching his face and his face is all ripped up and he manages to break free and then he runs out the door and then I run right out behind him. And then, again, we hear the door slam, you know, and the, the, the windows, you know, vibrate back and forth, you know. And now we're both standing out on the driveway, and my dad is clearly traumatized. He's, yeah. he's, he's shaking. He's shaking, and he's, he's lost it. And so we spend a little bit of time out there until he's able, because the phone was still out there. So he calls the police. And he told the police to bring the mental institution. So they come out there. I'm standing outside. They, the authorities all go inside, and I can hear my mother's voice for the first time talking normal. And they're asking her, so what happened here today? And he's, she's, like, she's like, oh, nothing, officer. I don't know what you mean. And I'm like, I'm hearing my mother's voice Wow. for the first time. Wow. Because she, she never talked to me. God, she never you know, and all I can remember is all these crazy voices and whispering and laughing and, you know, that she never was coherent, you know. And I'll tell you this. Let me back up a little bit. There was two times within the, of the time when I was 13 to when this happened, um, this this particular accident or incident happened. There was two times where I happened to be walking through the living room and she said to me in a clear voice, in it when cognitive and aware she said to me and she looked at me like a plea she said they're coming into me they're running up the back of my spine and perching in my head she said that to me twice two different occasions and then just like that when she was done then she'd go and go into her crazy and started talking Mm. in other languages and stuff like that it was like she was reaching out to me and I remember it clear as day. Like I'm a kid. I don't even know what the hell she's talking about. Sure. You, you know. Yeah. Who's yeah. they? Who's they? You know. At that point, we had just said that said that she was crazy. That's what our minds were going to. She's mm-hmm. crazy. 
you know, it's just part of her craziness. And that was it. You know, it was all cataloged away like that. <clears throat> but uh, when I heard my mother speaking in a normal voice, that was the first time I'd heard my mother speak in a normal voice in my life, in my entire life in existence with her. Wow. So stop taking her away. Three months later, she's back. Again. She's back again. Oh Three months later. God. She's back. And I, I told my dad. You're, you're, you're 13. Is this around that I'm, age? I'm 16. Now 16 and a half. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I told my dad informed me. He said, she's coming back. Oh. And I said, no, 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 no. He, he, he said, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. It's the law because she signed herself in. And I don't understand how, you know, I was still a minor. 16 years old, I'm still a minor. Yeah. But yeah. after that accident, that incident, they did take me to this one place. And then I had social workers and some doctors. I don't know which ones were which, but they, they interviewed me um, a, a couple of them different times. Like I had sessions all day where they were interviewing me. And the point that they were trying to put across to me, they were saying to me, well, you know, you're 16 now. You can go, you can go whatever you want. I hear that you're into music and all this stuff. Why don't you, you know, start a band and take off? They were trying to convince me to leave the house. Yeah. Because they didn't know what to do. Right. So they, they didn't want to have the obligation and the responsibility of, and I told them, I was very sarcastic to them. And I said, so the only way you're going to do something is if I come to you with a knife in my back, like my sister. Yeah, right. They're like, well, no, not exactly. And they're just, they were placating me the whole time. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to run away. That's what they wanted me to do because they didn't want to deal with this and they didn't know how. Right. And a very curious thing is uh, about six months ago, I ended up talking to, of all things, an exorcist who was living in Canada during that time, during the 70s and 80s. Uh -huh. And he told me, he said, you won't believe what an active time that was. When the exorcist came out, all mm -hmm. of the, you had the worst cases on, on file. Annalisa Michelle, you know, in Germany, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, all these cases. Uh, there was such wickedness happened to me. And he told me, he said that was protocol back then. And he told me that the reason why she came back is because she exhibited something in their in their facility that was above their diagnosis. Right. So to let it go yes because i don't know how to treat anything right yet. yes and he said that was protocol back then i said well that makes sense so she exhibited some behavior some supernatural behavior while she was there and they didn't want anything to do with it they wanted to wash their hands of it send her back and whatever happened happened and that's exactly what happened they sent her back and i was by this time i was a wreck i was failing school I, I, interestingly enough, though, I was never promiscuous and I never got into drugs or smoking weed or anything like that. And I think the reason was, is because the way I had to live, I had to live like a Spartan. Yes. I had to be aware. I had to be alert and to live. I mean, for years I stole food. I stole out of gardens. I stole, I was the, the lunch thief at school that they never caught for six years. Yeah. It, 
yeah, it would be on the on the announcements. Whoever's been stealing lunches, you know, you know, you know, basically give yourself in. This isn't the right thing to do. But I knew it. But I was starving to death. Of course, you know, I was starving to death. You know, so yeah. there was nothing I could do. I had to. I had to steal, and no one ever caught me. And I became very, very good at. It. But my point being is that you know everybody asks me that when I left because I left Canada at 19 years old. I went to California and I was homeless under the Santa Monica Pier. Mm. That's what I did to get away. I left the country. I got on a bus and I went to the Cal- to the Santa Monica Pier only because I saw it on Three's Company. I think it was, <laughs> yeah. Just had wow. Internet and those. I so, know, and yeah. Sixth or seventh season, you know, when they're walking on the pier yeah. and they go into the beach. Yeah. And yeah. they're coming knocking and, our door. Yeah. They were yeah, waiting for and, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And while they were walking away, I saw Howard Johnson's in the back. So I thought, okay, that's got to be a real place. And I said, that's where I'm going to go. So I got on a bus and that's a whole nother story. I had to trick customs to get across and all this kind of stuff. Wow. I got rejected. And, and, but people ask me, they, they tell me, so when you got to California, uh, I mean, didn't you feel like this massive relief? And I said, no, not at all. Because that was just the beginning of now of my adult problems of having to deal with all this post-traumatic stress. And the next yeah. 40 years of my life was just as much of a hell it has been as my as growing up with my mother. I mean, like I was telling you off of uh, off audio, you know, like I had an episode last night, you know, my my I see every night, this this is my norm. Every night when the sun goes down. I shake really, really, really bad. Oh, yes. and I have to take medication because my face goes numb, my feet go numb, and my hands go numb. Wow. And that's been happening for decades. Oh, and man. I'm surprised I'm not dead and had a heart attack because I've been in the hospital so many times I can't even count for all this. And they always tell me, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's because it's stress. It, it, yeah, it right. mimics all of these. Uh, I've gone to neurologists. And they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. We can't find anything wrong with you. And that's what PTSD does. Right. You know? And it's it's morphed. It, it started off when I first left Canada uh, with insomnia. Because I now I had the nightmares. You know, now I was away from her. Now I had began to have the nightmares. You know? Sure. And the nightmares. And I had bulimia. I was battling bulimia at the time, too. I was, you know, six foot one you know, and 126 pounds, you know, damn. So, yeah. And, you know, I was eating like once a day, maybe a handful of something and then throw it up. Or sometimes I'd eat a whole pizza, a gigantic pizza and then barf the whole thing all up. And that was my life. Wow. You know? So, and still to this day, I mean, I'm 53 now that was 19 when the aftermath started and I'm 53 and I still, I still can't hold a job. I, I can't be around people. I can't be around loud noises. Um, I can't be around groups of people. I, I can't hold a job for eight hours. That's why I'm a musician. I go play for a couple of hours. I'm a flamenco and jazz guitar player. Okay. I go play. Yeah, I go play for a couple of hours. You know, I do, believe it or not, I do, uh, I do uh, events for um, casinos, uh, celebrities, golf tournaments, golf dinners, uh, awards. You know, yeah. I do all that kind of, kind of stuff, and that's the only thing I I, I can do. I go in, sure. I play for two hours. You know, nobody even bothers me because I'm entertaining. You know, right, 
Right. And and the second I'm done, you know, the stroke of nine or whatever, my, my contract's up, you know, I pack up and I'm gone. I don't sit around to talk to anybody. Everybody thinks I'm like a Neil Pert, you know, right. <laughs> the second you're done the show, you're, you're running off the stage and into a limo, not quite the limo, but uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. I bail. I bail because I can't be around people. I had no social skills. Yeah. My, my, my wife had to, I couldn't even talk on the phone. My wife had to call, make calls for me because I couldn't talk on the phone. I was so inept at socializing, you know, I, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't speak, you know, yeah. I couldn't, speak. I couldn't say anything, you know, I couldn't have a conversation with people because me, I was always, you know, I live like a Spartan and I think like a Spartan. I walk into a room you know, I, I immediately uh, uh, look at everybody who's a potential threat, who would be the first one I'd have to take out so that I'd be safe. Yeah. You know, where are the exits? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I make sure that I remember what they're wearing, what color, what's significant, a scar, a tattoo or something in case I had to remember that or, you know, yeah. or be an accessory to something. Yeah. And that's how I'm living. It's been exhausting. Of course. Of course. I mean, you know, your story is obviously is, is incredible. It's compelling, but it really makes me realize like success, the term success. Um, I think in America, especially we get it so conflated with the realities of life and like your success is being alive, you know, yeah. like you're, you yeah. spent your entire childhood trying to just get by and the fact that you're even able to form sentences and speak so eloquently on yeah. this um it's 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 amazing and it's inspirational man i want, I want you to know that because it's uh it's anyone else could have taken this in a completely different direction man so um it's amazing that you're able to to you know push forward and do what you've done in your life really yeah even yeah. even taking the supernatural out of it, you were still, you know, raised in a very traumatic home, you know, um, yeah. and that surviving that alone is still, you know, it's uh, it's a commendable. I mean, you, you, it's just you're tough, and you know, you're able to carry on, and yeah, you've got all the scars, but you're st- you're a survivor. You know, so you've got that yeah, going for you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been it's been a very difficult life. I can I mean, imagine. believe it or not, I've been married to the same woman for thirty four years. That's She's amazing. My side. Wow. She's been a rock to me. You know, we've uh, we've broken up a couple of times. You know, because of 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 my PTSD and because I don't see things like other people see them. You know, like like even something even something normal. Like if somebody would ask you, well, what do you think about that guy doing that? You know, some behavior, right? Like, wow, that's crazy. And I would look at it like totally different. Like, no, that's a defensive move yes. or, yeah. you know, in, in, in something that's, you know, I would look at it totally unnatural. Everything that I, that I talk about and, and I'm interested in or do no one else is interested in, in it. I'm, I'm, I'm like so backwards compared to, well, I always tell my wife. You know, whatever everybody likes, you can be sure I don't like it. Or whatever I like, you can be sure nobody knows about it or nobody likes it. Right. Because yeah. I'm so backwards. Well, you know, and uh, that has been so difficult to go through life like that. Apparent. And I'm left-handed. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> the devil, the, that's the curse of the devil there, left-handedness. But I think it's like a, a parent is supposed to be a person in your life that helps you for, helps you formulate your thought patterns and like yes. helps you make sense of the world. And when you don't have that at all, it and, it, and especially if it's your yeah. mother, that is your mother is supposed to be the one person in your life that is supposed to represent, you know, holiness or a sense of well-being or comfort or love, all those things. And when you're not getting that, I mean, I can just only imagine, I mean, and you do a fantastic job of telling your story and putting people in your shoes and really painting that picture. And it's like, I can't even imagine, dude, I had pretty decent parents and I still have issues in my life. Um, and they pale in comparison to your issues, but, and I, I'm just saying that it doesn't matter how good of a situation you come from. Everyone has issues, but when you're, when you're listening to a story like yours, it makes you realize, wow, man, I had it pretty good compared to people out there, um, in your situation. And, and it makes you realize that like, People like yourself that have come from these situations and are willing to go out publicly and speak about them, like there's an amount of bravery there that I don't think a lot of people could muster in order yeah. to get this out, man. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, it, it is, dude. It, it's a uh, yeah. It, it's really the, the getting this out in the public was was an interesting thing because when I first started writing the book, it wasn't for me; it was for my kids. Right. Because my kids are in their thirties. Yeah. You know, wow. and yeah. I have two girls, two mm. girls and six grandchildren. What do they think my, about this? Well, you know, they're devastated by it, but they encouraged me. They said, Dad, you gotta put this out. You know, you you were a person that thought no one this this couldn't happen to anybody. There might be somebody out there that's happening to the exact same thing. They don't understand that the situation they're in mm. is horrid. Yeah. You know, because it was so gradual, you know. And, uh, you know, they kind of helped convince me of that, but I was terrified to put this out. And at many times I closed it and I said, no, 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 I'm not going public with this because I was afraid of people rejecting me. People saying, oh, he's just trying to sell books. I couldn't care less about that. Um, oh, he's a, he's lying. It's sensationalism. It, you know, this guy just wants fame or fortune. I don't care about anything like that. I just wanted to get the story out and, one of the guys that really helped me to do this, because I started to test the waters once I, I got the book done and then it was in editing, I started to call people. I started to watch movies, and I watched this movie called Hostage to the Devil. It's about Malachi Martin, the, the life of Malachi Martin. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, no. he was a, a, a Jesuit priest that did many, 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 many exorcisms. And he was attached to the Catholic Church and then broke away. Oh, and, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He wrote a yeah. whole bunch of books. Well, he wrote the book, Hostage to the Devil, about all his, you know, some of the worst cases that he'd seen. So I saw that on Netflix. It's not there anymore. But when I saw that movie on Netflix, I, I was listening to the producer talk and, I, and I, I sensed in myself, now here's a guy who's sensitive and, 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 and seems to understand this, even though he doesn't un fully understand it. And I thought, I wonder if I could reach out to him, if he would even 
you know, contemplate even, you know, responding to right. me and that maybe I could get a kind of an inkling of, you know, how, you know, what am I looking at here? Is it, entertain was it entertainment on their part or does he really believe this? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm looking for some itty bitty bit of confirmation by somebody who knows about these things. Sure. You know, I yeah. knows about this life. So I ended up contacting him and, and, uh, we talked a couple times, and then you know he's the producer. He's from Belfast. He's he is Causeway Pictures, and um, he said, "Listen," he said, "send me send me the book. I'll take a look at it." I said, "Okay, great." Now I didn't expect you know when producers talk like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like whatever. So I sent him the book, never thinking I would. I sent it to him on a on a Friday afternoon, I believe, and I didn't ever think about hearing from him. Well, Monday morning he calls me. In Monday morning, he actually emails me and he goes, Michael, he said, we need to talk. And I said, okay. So we, I, we started talking and he said, he said, bro, this is, this story is like nothing I've ever heard in my life. Mm. He says, this is an absolute, you know, 10 on the insanity scale. Yeah. And I said, and I was like, oh, really? Oh, it's just like my life to me. You know, when it's you, you know, how people don't like hearing their voice on audio and yeah. stuff like that. Well, that's how my life is to me. I was like, who cares? Who wants to know about this? It's a bunch of crap. Right. You know, and it's not edifying. It's not, there's nothing blessed about it. There's nothing happy about it. And he said, listen, man, he says this story, he goes, I believe you. And he gave me the confidence. He said, he said, listen, have it copyrighted and get it published. Put it out there. Put it out there. He said, I would love to see this as a movie one day. He says, because, mm -hmm. man, you've got insights. You've got insights that other people don't have. Yeah. And I said, yeah, you're right. And I, I talked to him about that <clears throat> from all of my mother's talking, you know, in all the languages and stuff. This is what it did to me. Yeah. From her talking in all the languages, which I couldn't understand, it frustrated me to the point where I would get an inch away from her face and scream in her face. You know, what the F are you talking about? And Gosh. she might just stare at me for a minute and then go right back to the, the insanity. I could not break through, even when I was, if I would be violent to her, I could not break through that that uh, thing she was in, that possession. Wh you know, what, through. What, what ultimately happened to her? Yeah. Did you ever well, contact her? Here's the interesting thing <clears throat> I had made plans. I was 18 years old. I had had enough. My sister said, I got an apartment. Come live with me. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to Toronto. I'm going to see it's 100 miles away. I'm going to go to Toronto. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to collect some money. And then I'm going to California. This is what I want to do. Because I wanted to do music. And we were a union at the time in Canada. And I didn't want to be part of the union. And I didn't want to play cover songs. Yeah. I wanted to do my own material. So... So I went down there for a year. I collected the money. I came back home for a week. I, my dad had sold the house and got her an apartment somewhere a half an hour away. So I said to my dad, I want to, I want to see her one more time. <clears throat> so I went to see her. Um, I went up to her apartment. She lived on the main street of an apartment right above a main street store. <clears throat> I ran up the hallway, which was a steep, you know, those have those steep stairways. I knocked on the door. She opened the door and never looked at me like she knew I was there. She knew who it was. Uh, 
I, I walked in. She turned around. I followed her. She went back into the bedroom. She sat. I sat down on the bed. She sat down on the bed. She opened up a, a, <clears throat> a dresser drawer, a little bureau that was right next to her. She pulled out a letter. She handed me a letter. Within three seconds, she laid down, went right back into the voices. And I oh said, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I, I can't do this. Because I was falling apart. Right. <clears throat> I was falling apart mentally and emotionally and physically as well. Yeah. I bulimia. Yeah, I had bulimia, you know, and uh, it was terrible. I was eating like, you know, 10 calories a week. It was, it was just horrible. So I, I went out of there. I closed the door. I got back in the car. I never said a word to my dad. We went home. Um, three, four, three, four days later, I jumped on a plane. <clears throat> I got rejected, first of all, uh, from the plane. Um, but then I, finally, I, I, I couldn't get back on the plane because they said, hey, guys like you, the customs guy wouldn't let me cross. So I decided that my sister was going to drive me across the border into Buffalo, Niagara, in Niagara Falls area. So I put my hair up in a baseball cap because I had long hair and I looked like a kid. And we went with her husband across the Buffalo, Niagara Falls. And they said, what are you guys doing? You know, beside me, I'm looking over beside me at the other customs guy and they're taking the doors off this car. And I'm like, oh crap, I'm sunk. Yeah. I'm sunk. And my, uh, it was my my sister's fiance at the time. He says, "Oh, we're just going over to the Red Lion in Buffalo for dinner and staying the night." Okay, go on through. And, and wow. as easy as that, we went right through. Uh, you know, I, and uh, that's how I got into the country. And I just took a bus to California to Santa Monica Pier and was homeless there. But uh, yeah, and I went there because of uh, you know this the um, Three's Company, Three's Company thing. You know, sure. And then, yeah, and then uh, um, ten days later, I meet this girl. I, I meet this girl on the Sunset Strip, and there's a whole bunch of story before that, which is in the second book. Uh, some drug dealers steal my stuff, and I follow them around all night long in Santa Monica, and blah blah blah. <clears throat> so I, I, I eventually I end up in uh, in front of Gazari's on the Sunset Strip. Mm. And I'm looking to get in a band, and this girl comes up to me, and she said, would Would you buy me a bottle? And I said, uh, you know, I'm not 21. I'm not 21, and she keeps bugging me. So uh, I, I said to her, hey, you know, you know, maybe you can help me, uh, because I had heard, overheard from other guys standing around. See, back then, the Sunset Strip was loaded with people. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be out on the streets by the thousands. Couldn't even walk on the on the sidewalk. There was no room. Yeah. So I heard, but some guys were talking that the Ozzy Osbourne uh, audition. They were looking for a new guitar player. Eventually, Zach Wilde got that position. Yeah. And uh, so I was trying to find out where the audition was, and I asked her, "Well, can you find out?" She says, "Yeah, I can find out. I'm doing the flyers tonight for the band that's playing." So she bought me a ticket. We got in. We started talking. And then uh, she took me to her house and asked her mother if I could stay the night. I slept on the couch. And we've been together ever since. Wow, that was future wife. Oh my and, gosh! And we've been to ever we've been together since the very first moments we met. And uh, she she's the love of my life, and I'm the love of her life. And it, it's been we've had two kids and six grandchildren, and we're still married thirty four wow. years later. What a story! That's yeah. Amazing, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've weathered the worst of it, so now now we we can deal with each other. <laughs> That's amazing, man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and then what I became was uh, you know I became a musician and I play flamenco and 
and jazz and 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 uh, you know Latin, you know Spanish guitar type of stuff. Mm. And that's what I play, and that's how I make a living. That's awesome. You know? that, that is great. That is yeah. That's a fulfilling. So, you know, music is a fulfilling thing too. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. it was a great therapy, and I hated the fact that the social workers were making that a point. Oh, you love music? You should run away. Well, this is exactly what I did, right. but I didn't run away. I made a plan. It was a yeah. year plan. Yeah. Save up money. In fact, there were four other guys that were going to go with me, and they all chickened out right to the last week. You mm-hmm. know, so I said, you know, bye. <laughs> and I got on that plane, and I ended up in Santa Monica. Funny thing, when I got to Santa Monica was that for the first time in my life, no one knew where I was. And I stood out on the beach, you know, I think it was 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, in April. It was the Monday, the day after uh, Easter. Mm. And there was nobody on the beach, so I had the whole beach to myself. I took my shoes off, and I put my back, I had an Adidas backpack at the time, or, uh, you know, duffel bag. I put it on the ground, on the sand. I laid back, and I put my feet in the sand, and I closed my eyes for the first time in my life. Where I was able to, I took my first breath. Yeah. I took wow. a big breath. And I just stood there and I went, oh my gosh, look where I am. So beautiful. It was a beautiful day. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. I remember it very clearly. And then 15 minutes after that, I went, now what the hell am I going to do? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, wow, man. man. And that's another story for another day. So. No, that's amazing, man. That's You have an amazing story, really. Absolutely. Hey, man, did I ever tell you about this recent thing that happened to me? I was driving around in the country, and it was just after dusk. So there's a little bit of light still coming on out of the sky, but it was mostly dark. I saw this black school bus. I don't think I've ever heard this. Okay, so I saw this black school bus. All the windows were tinted, and it started following me for about 15 minutes. Whoa, no. Yeah. What what did you do? I was at work. I was making deliveries and I just kept making my deliveries and like it would even stop and wait for me oh. and <laughs> yeah, this is, but it was never close enough to where I could see it or anything but it was following me man wow dang that's just an example of another really weird story that happened to me and that could have happened to you. You don't have to have a UFO encounter. You don't have to have seen the ghost of your grandmother. You don't have to know what Bigfoot smells like to have had a weird story. Basically, what we're saying is weird covers a lot of ground here on the What's Your Weird Story podcast. And we love hearing all of your stories, whether they're spooky, they're funny, they're bizarre, or they're just short, sweet, and unexplained. Kind of like our podcast. Um, I've got to circle back to a couple of questions that I had. Um, You're you're. Did your dad at any other time than the time that he was attacked, did he witness what your mom was doing? Uh, Yes, but it was was only for minutes at a time because he'd come home. Uh, You know, he'd only be home for a few minutes to do, uh, you know, some bills or just show me what bills to write out. Yeah. blah, blah, Blah. And then he was gone. And so he spent like zero time at home and he copied his father. His father was never home either. Right. Did you have any friends um, 
that were that came over or were that witnessed anything like this? Were you or did you kind of keep people away? I kept people away. We never had visitors. In yeah. fact, in fact, we had a phobia about when the when the doorbell rang, I would jump. Both me and my sister would jump. Well, you know, because it was always mm-hmm. something bad because yeah. we had the fight. You got to understand we had the police over to our house all the time, maybe 10, 15 times a year. It was ridiculous. And then we had the, the fire department come. I mean, the fire department, I remember the fire department coming in one time and her chair is like five feet away from the, from the fireplace. The fireplace is, is, you know, the chimney's on fire it's oh, man. it's beat red going into the attic and firemen are running inside the house their feet away from her poking and bringing water in and shooting water up and she's whacking herself with a log and nobody even pays attention wow and it, it she never broke she never broke from her you know talking and laughing and hitting herself even when the freaking firemen were there you know and they're they're like feet away from her two three feet away from her she never broke out of that, you know. It was incredible, you know. I, I and you know uh, the the extremity of the story and the uh, the absurdity. I, I like to call it absurd because yeah. it is. It, it's beyond beyond reality, you know. It's 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 worse than fiction, you know. And and I, that's part of the biggest problem I have in my life is I can't have anybody I can relate to. Right. I feel mm-hmm. I feel like I'm all alone in this world, mm-hmm. you know, because there's no uh, you know demonic mother possession anonymous club. Right. You know. Yeah. Where you can go and talk to people. You know, most people keep to themselves or don't remember yeah. it. Yeah. You know. I, you know that yeah. kind of thing. But mine was the longest I've ever. I've been researching in the last forty years exorcisms since the 13th century, and I've never heard one this long before. Yeah. 12 yeah. years yeah. it went on and under undercover you know That's, i know there were people yeah. that were possessed for a long time but there weren't witnesses that were living in it and yeah. you know dealing you know that it become this horrific ordeal day after day after day after year after year after year you know it's yeah. it's it's you know i i i point it as the worst case in canadian history because i've mm-hmm. read them all i've read them all and it's really interesting that none of the papers, the newspapers, and none of the um, none of the academies or or the mental institutions in Canada will listen to my story. Mm-hmm. They will not listen to my story. I've yeah. tried to talk to educational people there, psychiatrists. No one wants anything to do with it, and that only further isolates and rejects me. And that was right. the thing. About the book that I was most feared about was, you know, people can't live like that. You need to have, you need to have people, you know, you need to have people that love you, that understand you, right. that know you. That's, that's part of the fabric of humanity. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And that's one thing I've never had. Yeah. You know, I have very, very few friends and they know about it, but you know, it, people kind of walk on eggshells around me because they don't know what to, you know, it's like if your dad dies, you, what do you say? You you see right. them for the first time. And what do you say? Yeah. Oh, sorry about your dad. You know. Yeah. There, there's no real language that it is appropriate. That I, you know, I'm just a normal guy. I'm trying to go on as normal as possible, even though I'm not. You know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm the greatest actor on this planet. 
because everybody thinks, dude, you got your crap together. And I'm like, you have no clue, man. Right. I, I, what do you want me to do? Walk into an Albert's, walk into a grocery store and start freaking out and telling people, you know, you don't know what I've been through, you know? It's, yeah. I mean, right. You can't live like that. Yeah. It's only detrimental to yourself. Yeah. Sure. You know, yeah. you know, you end up in jail or crazy or, you know, yeah. something bad is going to happen to you. Your life's going to be taken away from you. Yeah. You know? Right. So, so well, what do you do? I mean, part of, you know, the reason why we started doing this podcast was because we wanted to give a platform for people that have experienced things that aren't normal and 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 give them the ability to talk about it. And um, demon possession is one of those things in humanity. It's just kind of like what you're saying about the, the hospital itself, man. They they realized that what they were dealing with was way out of their league. And so rather than admitting, hey, we don't know what we're doing here, why don't we just sweep this under the rug? And and then and then we don't have to admit failure, you know? Um, yes, yes. And it takes the people, some people, it, you know, have a real difficult time when it comes to spiritual things like this. They have a hard time wrapping their head around it because it's so outside of the norm. You know, you know, I mean, even the things that we normally talk about here, um, which runs the gamut, you know, demon possession is is a, an avenue that we haven't had a lot of. Yeah. Um, we've had shadow figures. We've had dark entities, people having, you know, interaction with things like that. But what you've gone through is like one in a, you know, trillion you know? Yes. Yes, it is. And you know, my sister, my sister, she won't talk about it. Really? We, we haven't even talked about this since it happened. Wow. And my dad, we've never talked. One time about three months ago, my dad asked me, I told him, I said, dad, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having, I don't know how it came up, but I told him that I was having a series of, I've been in the hospitals because I didn't call him back or something. And mm -hmm. I said, well, I've been in the hospital. And he says, what have you been in the hospital for? And I said, well, I've been blacking out. You know, I've been blacking out when it, when things get too stressful for me, my body shuts down. It just shuts off. Yeah. It's, it's like a, like a circuit breaker, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, what do you mean? Why, why is that happening? And I said, dad, I said, mom, all those years with mom, Yeah. you know, and he, he didn't say anything on the other line, yeah. you know, he just was kind of quiet, you know, but I think he understood enough to. Yeah, you know, because my, my dad's an interesting character. He only has a fourth grade education. He doesn't speak English very well. He was a refugee in World War II. He's got his own traumas. He saw the the Nazis shooting his dad, shooting yeah. at him across the field because they were trying to get you know because my my grandfather refused to be a fascist yeah. in in Mussolini's army. Right. So they had to defect, and then he lived in the caves in Tufo, where they the Greeks would make wine. He mm, lived wow. in those old caves wow. up in the hills. Until the war was over, and then they reunited, Amazing. you know, as refugees. Amazing, you know, and their houses were bombed, and and then he lived in government housing, you know, in a one room with eight people, you know, him and his six brothers and sisters, you know. Yeah. So he's got his own issues, yeah. and I totally it wasn't until I was like forty that I totally understood that. Yeah. You know, it's like no wonder my dad couldn't, you know, provide in those ways emotionally and mentally. Uh, yeah, I you know, and that's the thing too, man. Is that like. So many times in the world that we live in today, we try to we try to we try to blame you know the older generations for things that 
they just aren't capable of, man. They came yeah. from a totally different frame of reference, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And their whole their whole society was not about talking about it. No, yes. especially men. Men were not to yes. show any kind of emotion um, or any kind of reaction. You know, well, who wants to? Was, especially, you know, you know especially Italian men. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But. I mean, that's where he came from. And, you know, quite honestly, that's how we lived. We lived like he was in the war. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, you, you know, were in the war. I mean, you really were yeah. living yeah. in a war zone. I mean, there are probably yeah. people who've lived in war zones who didn't have it as difficult as you. I shouldn't say that, but, you know, I'm well, saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I understand. was just. Yeah. You literally went through hell on earth. Yeah. Yeah. It was the mental and emotional abuse. But, you know, eventually that becomes physical. And that's what's happening to me now is that it's morphed into different physical yeah. things. You know, yeah. I've got lots of issues now with me, you know, passing out, having, you know, my heart skyrockets. And, you know, they ask me, are you stressed? You know, I go, to, I end up at the hospital or, you know, they, you know, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the ambulance comes to my house and they go, are you stressed? Are you doing drugs? And I'm like, no, man, I'm not doing it. I've got PTSD. And when you say PTSD, that's like saying I've got ADHD. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody's got it. Who cares? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, everybody says that because people like to hide, hide behind an illness. It gives them license yeah. to, to, to be uh, more open and more crazy. You yeah. know, yeah, about things. You know, like you you don't have to be responsible about your for your actions right. when you can say you have a disease. You know, well, I've right. got ADHD. You know, right, which is nonsense. You know, but you know, people do it. You know, yeah, yeah. But that that's been the hardest thing for me is 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 doing life. I mean, just the normal things. You know, I go to the store and I think everybody's looking at me because mm-hmm. I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. My mother was a Jehovah's Witness for a bunch of years, and. I had to stay in school in the early years, you know, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four. I was always the kid that had to go out of the room when the national anthem was on yeah. and the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. And I would be walking, you know, I'd always sit at the back of the room and I'd be walking and all these eyes were on me and I'm like, here goes the freak. And I would yeah, say right. that every, every day, yeah. here goes the freak and everybody's looking at me and you can see the disdain. In their mm-hmm. eyes, because they don't understand. I mean, we were all just children. We didn't yeah. understand anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were only doing what adults, you know, formulated for us. Right. You know? yeah. Right. But even the teachers hated me. I had one teacher that grabbed me by the arm and sunk her fingernails into me, you know, and flicked me out the window. And that's in my book. I say that that was the most loneliest moment of my life, standing out in the hallway, hearing all the other children behind safely behind closed doors singing the national anthem while I'm the freak out in the middle of the hallway, no one in the hallway, just me standing there. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong? And then, you know, children, they take it upon themselves. You know, there's something wrong with me. I'm the cause, you know, and that's exactly what I did, you know? And, you know, my, it, it disturbed my value system as an adult. That's what it does. You know, broken children make broken adults. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. You yeah. know, that's the cookie cutter uh, form, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but everything my dad did, I wanted to do the opposite. That's the one thing that I kept in my, in my head. My children yeah. could tell you, oh, my dad loved us. My dad, he worked so hard. He bought us everything he could. 
You know, he took us places, he spent time with us, and my grandchildren will tell you the same thing. They come to my house, they cry because they don't want to leave. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because no, I'm giving that love that I didn't yeah. get. And that's you know? success. I know yeah. Hurts. That, yes. That, yeah. That's you're successful. That is success. You know what I mean? That's success. You're you're very right, my friend. Because to see my children's faces when I walk into the room. When I go to their house and they give me that little rascal's look, grandpa's here, you know, and they come running yeah. over and hug yeah. me, that makes me feel like ha- I have value, that I'm invaluable. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You created, in your life, you created the love that you sought as a child. You created it and you're getting it back in droves. So you're, you know, yes. you, your survival and your, you know, battles are you know you 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 this the, your tre- your family now is your yes. treasure so there you are so and I incre- I credit my wife for being the model of love I didn't know what love felt like mm. what it what it was how how do you know when it is mm. you know, and how do you give it you know but my my wife was the model of that she was sacrificial she let me go through my stuff without. You know, harping on me and telling me I was bad and all that stuff that would have damaged me even more. Mm-hmm. You know, she was that model for me. She taught me what love was. And then I was able to give that to my children, you know, and my grandchildren. Wow, that's so a, I'm very grateful for her. That's yeah. very that's a fantastic uh that's fantastic. It's yeah. Amazing. She just walked in here and she just walked out. She, came, <laughs> she just came home. She waved at me and took off because she knows I'm nice. I'm doing this right now. Nice, nice, man. Nice. She mouthed at me. I'm going to the thrift store. <laughs> I've oh. got great. one. I'm sorry. I've got one last question that I uh, that popped up to me. You said that, um, well, your your mom and her sister were, you know, seance and doing. They were kind of in into the occult a little bit. You think? Um, I is. Do do you have? You said you were talking about little people. Um, yeah. Are you in? Do you have? Are you? Does your family have any kind of? Uh, I guess First Nations um, lineage in there no. in Canada? No, it's all Italian. Interesting. We're all Italian. Yes, and you know I'll tell you something interesting. My my mother's sister, her daughter, who was my age kind of went through this stuff with me. And she was, I remember when we were teenagers, she would write me letters about all kinds of stuff about seances and all this stuff. And believe it or not, she hung herself. She had three kids and she hung herself in the basement when she was like 44. Wow. That's terrible. Yeah. So, you know, it was wicked stuff that they got into. And yeah. the, I mean, there's evidence of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hanging herself. How does a woman, a woman, hang herself with three children? I yeah. mean, I could understand taking pills, you know, but in that model, hanging yourself—that is a vile way. Because somebody has to find you, somebody has to see you like that. Yeah. Mm. You know, and somebody has to cut you down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and it's always a family member that sees it. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. I mean, there, there's that stuff. I mean, yeah. there's so much more to the story that's in the book. I mean, you know, I'm just giving you the, the, yeah. the highlights here. Yeah, man. The, hey, so much groundwork. While, while we're on it, um, why don't you plug your book and how people can get in touch with you, you know, any social media stuff or whatever you got? 
Okay. Um, the book is called Devil Take the Hindmost. It's available on uh, Amazon for Kindle download only. But from what I'm told, people are downloading it on uh, different apps from Google. You can download if you don't have a Kindle. Um, the second part is Devil Take the Hindmost Part 2, The Aftermath, which takes you from uh, when I'm 19 years old, when I come to California, up until present day. And, uh, you know, and all the things I went through, I was almost killed several times by gunfire. And oh, wow. All, yeah, it just it goes on and on and on and on. It never ended. Never well, ended. we'll have to have you back to uh, tell us some more of the, some, of those, some of those stories as well. Sure, yeah. I'd be happy to. I'd De be happy. Definitely, man. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on. You have a really compelling story, and we appreciate yeah. you sharing that with us. Man. Incredible, yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate it very much. You were so kind to to uh, allow me just to, you know, vomit a bit <laughs> and uh, just just, you know, be able to tell people, you know, and and, you know, if people want to get a hold of me, you know, I, I screened, you know, lots of people contact me from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Some people ask me stupid stuff. I don't answer stupid questions. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if people call me and say, hey, listen, you know, um, if they got something nice to say or if they have a, a, a something similar or something related that they really want to express or that it helped them in some way, you, you know, you can you can write me at events, mgagliardi at gmail.com. And the M and the G in the middle are capitalized. So events, mgagliardi, G-A-G-L-I-A-R-D-I. Uh, at gmail.com. Hey Barry, yeah. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen a goat sucker? What? Goat sucker, chupacabra. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen one of those? I haven't seen one personally, but I've heard about them. Yeah, me too. If anybody's got a goat sucking story, wait. If you got a goat sucker story, we want to hear it. If you got a Bigfoot story, we want to hear it. If you got a Loch Ness monster story, or a Lake Champlain story, or Ogo Pogo story, or uh, an Oingo Boingo story, wait, that that was an '80s band. Anyway, you got a weird cryptid story, we want to hear it. I didn't even know what a cryptid was, man. Yeah, dude, cryptids—they're like uh, the animals that haven't been necessarily proven by science. They're the ones on the edge. You know, they're not necessarily known animals, but they're known animals. We don't have the bodies or anything like that. So they're kind of like uh, half myth, half story based in reality, but still in that weird mystery area that we don't know about yet. Cryptids are fun. That was incredible. That was incredible. Dude, that was... Michael, thank you so much for sharing that, um, for, you know, telling us the, uh, this, this extremely emotional story, extremely personal story. And, and man, I just, I mean, it's just, it's wow. It's taken me some time to kind of process that story because there's, uh, it's just so, heavy there's so, mm -hmm. so much heaviness and mm -hmm. um you know he's great at telling the story he really puts you in the shoes of of that kid and yeah kind of what a kid does to try to process what he can't really understand yeah um yeah. you know and like we said um 
while we were talking, you know, it is a miracle that he is as functioning as he is, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a real inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you talk about somebody who has had a difficult go at it, and he's done all he can to, to uh, you know, improve, improve his life. And, um, you know, he's got an amazing family that love him and uh, mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. support him and, uh, you know. And he's as normal as you can be under those circumstances. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's amaz- It's quite amazing, man. He's very well yeah. spoken, man. I'd asked him in in the interview uh, about the little people and if he had any nation uh, First Nations yeah. uh, blood in him or um, Native American blood, as we say, south of the border here. Um, and he. Uh, he said no, of course. And then off air, we talked a little bit, and I told him that the reason I asked was because of the stories of uh, the little people that we've often heard about from our Native American friends, yeah, um, all over many cultures, many tribes, nations, I should say, and how there's this tradition of little people who are um, impish, and you know they're little tricksters, and they're kind of doing stuff like that. And, you know, I just thought of this and I don't know why this didn't connect in my brain earlier, but, um, you know, there are European versions of little people too, like leprechauns and gnomes right. and stuff like that. And yeah. even the fairy, you know, yep. and to some degree. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't make that connection until now. And then you had like, it's a good point. The, uh, sprites and like, you know, centaurs and, um, satyrs, you know, like the, that's the, the, with the little goat legs and stuff, yeah, you know, and and they're all smallish people. With I don't know, I don't know yeah. why I never thought about that. Yeah, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, that had nothing to do with his. So <laughs> yeah, I well, see see if there was, you know, I was trying to draw the connections of yeah of that. Well, when so. you're dealing with the 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 demonic, anything's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're able to. Well, from what I understand, and you know what, that's very little. Um, but what from what I've seen. You know, things can be conjured up, and uh, mm-hmm. your mind can play tricks on you. And so, you know, there's no telling, but um, just wild and um, and a great story. And a, a story of triumph, really, at the end of the day, yeah. is really yeah. what it is. And um, we've had some pretty incredible stories the last few weeks, but, like, I just keep thinking we can't – they can't get any better than – what we currently have and then we'll get a new story and it's like yeah. good god man i mean it's amazing to me again that people reach out and they want to tell these stories and yep. um not many people have had that kind of a story that michael has mm-hmm. he's unique in that way mm-hmm. and like he talked about in the in the discussion you know that's a tough road for him to follow Mm-hmm. Knowing that he doesn't have a you know very many people out there that have experienced anything like that in their mm-hmm. life, it's compelling. Yeah, yeah, and it's just I, and uh, it's a survivor story. It really yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And he survived. You yeah. know, and he like admirably survived. And he, you know, because he all but was abandoned by everyone. Yeah. You know, his sister could only help him so much until she was gone, and she escaped, and that's understandable. And his father, obviously, in a way, didn't even want to be there. Right? You know? Right? You know, he yeah. he was he was gone. Yeah. Um, and he's you know. from a ge- different generation too, man. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to understand that mindset, but like, it happened. It happened yep. with a lot of those. You know. 
that World War II generation, dude, had a hard road. There was a mm-hmm. lot of mental dexterity that you had to have mm-hmm. to survive those kind of conditions.